The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. surprised you're back, frankly, if you heard uh, the last episode. I apologize for those audio gremlins. Um, it's frankly embarrassing. I almost had, uh, almost just deleted the episode, but I decided to keep it um, because really, I mean, standards are, are something I don't have a lot of right now. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're, this is your first time joining Cardboard Cave, um, this is just a little podcast with me, Trevor. And sometimes my wife, Anna, joins me. It's just me down in the cave today. Um, actually, I'm socially isolating myself, even for my wife currently. Uh, <clears throat> I won't go into detail because, frankly, the cave needs to be, uh, it needs to be a reprieve from the craziness in the real world right now. But if you're listening to this in the year 2030, uh, we had this little thing called the coronavirus pandemic. Um here in the year 2020 and I work in a hospital and um, I came in contact with someone who may or may not be positive for it. So until I find out for sure, I'm just keeping myself distant. Um, so I'm literally down in the basement in the cave <laughs> by myself right now. Um, tomorrow I'm supposed to find out if this particular patient actually was positive but I'm keeping my wife and our little son as safe as I can. Um, and I thought, hey, this is a great opportunity to put out an episode of The Cardboard Cave. Uh, I'm going to review a game that we've gotten quite a few plays in of now, mostly with my wife, Anna. Um, but before that, I just want to say the audio quality should be better from here on out. This this podcast has struggled getting off the ground. I'm not going to hide it. I'm very transparent. Uh, I have no idea what happened to the last episode, but I have a new laptop, well, new to me, um, a much more powerful laptop, though still not new by any means. Um, actually, I think my old laptop was so lousy and so out of date that it just couldn't handle the recording, which is ridiculous. But, uh, so if you made it through the last episode, thank you. Um, hopefully that's the worst it'll ever be. So, let's just jump right into some things that uh, I've been playing since last recording. Um, you know, I, I, I want this to be an episode focused on sort of the positive slant of social isolation. Isolation? Isolation. Um, some, hopefully, I'll, I'll give you some things you can do if you're a board gamer or uh, maybe a wannabe board gamer. And uh, you found yourself here in the cave. Because you're just severely bored right now. Um, this first game is actually one that I would suggest if you're uh, if you're stuck at home with your family. And I say I would suggest it, but to be honest with you, this game is old. I mean, it's pretty old. I don't actually know if it's still in print, but I think it is. It's called Ten Days in Africa. 
Um, there's also 10 days in the USA. There's 10 days in Asia. Um, honestly, any of those versions, I think they're all basically the same game. If you ever played the game, um, oh, I was, I think it was Rummy Cube, Rummy Cub. I don't know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> it was an old popular game. We are trying to arrange tiles in a certain order. So you can basically get from one number to an ending number and everything in between fits. It's like that, except you're imagining that you're traveling all over Africa. So you might have, you can walk to adjacent countries. You can skip one country if you have a Jeep and you can fly from one like colored country to another with an airplane. So like a green country, green airplane, then any other green country on the board. And you have this rack. Racco. Racco is the game I'm trying to think of, not Rummy Cub. I think it was Racco. You literally, in anyways, in 10 Days to Africa, you literally have a rack in front of you, a wooden rack, and you just want to get your tiles sorted to where you have a beginning point and an ending point for your trip, and all the tiles work together. It's super, super simple, but it's fun. It's so quick that you might as well play two or three rounds at a time. It's just one of those games that works great with two players, or you can play with more. Um, any of the 10 day series, like I said, they're all the same game, just different maps. Um, if any of them are in print, uh, I recommend them for a super easy, to me, it's like a filler game, something to do when you just need to fill 15 minutes, but it's not mindless. It's not mindless at all. Um, so yeah, that's 10 days in Africa. Another game we played recently, um, is a little game you've probably never heard of, Seven Wonders. Of course, Seven Wonders is just a major popular game. Um, I think probably about everybody listening to this podcast has at least heard of it. But the thing is, we never overplayed Seven Wonders. We never played it dozens and dozens and dozens of times when it first came out. We've just played it a couple of times here and there over the years. You know, the several years since it's been out. And so we still really enjoy it because we never beat it into the ground. In fact, I never even got any of the expansions. We just find a very enjoyable game. With three to seven players, which of course is still the brilliant thing about this game, is the fact that it can play anywhere from three to seven and basically play in the same amount of time. I mean, that's just awesome. Um, If it's one you've not heard of and you find yourself playing games with a a wide range of players, you never know if you're going to have three or four or five or six or whatever. It's, It's just one of the best for that. I mean, there's very few games that have really taken its place for just how flexible it is with the number of players it plays. Um, but yeah, it's a card drafting game, if, if for somehow you've not heard of it, where you're given a hand of cards, and you pick the one that's your favorite, that the one that goes best with your strategy. Then everyone reveals the card they picked and passes the rest to their neighbor, and it goes around and around until you've um, played out so many cards. Um, and you're trying to build your civilization. That's the thing. Um, Basically, you're just trying to play cards together that work well together. Um, yeah, so played uh, two games of that recently with, <coughs> excuse me, our friends uh, Emily and Kevin and uh, and Kelby, who we've mentioned before. And then Jaipur. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but Jaipur is a game we played a couple rounds of since my last recording. And Jaipur is just an excellent, it's a two-player only card game. 
uh, where you're basically trading gems, um, <laughs> trading camels, and trying to be the richest uh, trader in the desert. And it's a pretty game. The art on the cards is very pretty. It's inexpensive. It's a very small, slender box. It's a wonderful, wonderful light two-player card game that, to me, has just become an absolute classic. Um, to me, it's up there with Lost Cities, which is another one you should definitely check out if you're looking for two-player games. Uh, it's right up there with Lost Cities for me. In fact, I don't even know which one is better to me. They're both so classic at this point. So that's Jaipur. Um, Jaipur and 10 Days in Africa, I think, are two great choices if you're isolated right now with your significant other and or friend or whoever. And there's just two of you. Those are both great choices. Um, And then Last Wheel, which we reviewed on the show, so I won't go into detail there. But we actually got to play that game twice uh, as a three-player game. We've only played it two-player. We played it with Kelby, uh, twice three-player. And I love it just as much three-player as two-player. Um, works really well. I'm just, I really dig that game more every time I play it. You know, we've played it, I don't know, maybe six times now, six, seven times, and it's certainly not overstayed its welcome yet. Um, so, last wheel, go check out that episode. It was probably a terrible episode, because most of them have been so far. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like I said, the quality should be bumping up a little bit. <clears throat> By the way, this cough is not corona. <clears throat> Whether I have corona or not, this is not that. Um, I've had this cough for, oh gosh... It's over a month at this point. Over a month. Just can't quite shake it. Um, had crud back in February. I think it was even. And um, just can't completely shake it. <clears throat> Anyways. That's pretty much the games we've played since the last episode. Not a ton, but some some good ones. Um, except for, of course, the game I'm going to talk about. That's the big one. But also, I had a weak moment. Uh, and decided, you know, just in case I do end up kind of self-quarantining myself. And I hope that doesn't happen, you know. I hope everything's fine. But I thought I could really use a good solo board game. Um, and I don't play a lot of solo board games because to me, board gaming is a social thing. But it's something to think about. You know, if you're stuck at home and your your household doesn't always want to play a game with you, you know, it's something to think about. Instead of turning on the video game or the TV or just looking at your phone mindlessly, there are board games that are made just for single play, just by yourself. There's also ones that um, that have a solo mode, but they're not solo only. And uh, that's what I got, is uh, Rallyman GT. So Rallyman uh, was a racing game from 2009, and Rallyman GT is the brand new reimagining of that game. And I've not even read the rules yet. I mean, I don't kind of how it works, but it plays one to six players. And I know it's, um, the original rally man was really popular with solo players. And I'm thinking this one has, has that built in as well. Sorry. I know it has it built in, but I think it's, it's a, a big deal. Um, but if, uh, to be honest with you, I've been addicted to the show top gear <laughs> and the grand tour. um, both of those shows, and this is kind of like Top Gear of the game as far as I'm concerned. You race cars from different generations, and um, it's, it's got a push-your-luck element, which I'm pretty big on, especially with a game like this that's so thematic. 
I really like how it looks when you lay out the hexagonal tiles. The track is cool. So maybe uh, if you're a racing fan or just think it sounds like a fun time and you want a game that is multiplayer, but also you can pull out during isolation and play by yourself if you need to, it is one to six players. And from what I've heard, it does well um, even just as a solo game. So maybe check it out. Um, hoping I'll be able to report on that soon. But that's enough of that. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about our topic game. Okay, so the game I want to talk about is Grand Austria Hotel. And Grand Austria Hotel is uh is a game that I've mentioned on the show before and we we've got it uh three more plays in of it. In fact, three days in a row. Um yesterday, the day before, and the day before that. I did have although I am I, I'm a nurse, so I don't have uh I'm not completely quarantined. I do have to go into work, you know. But um I've not had to go in as much here lately. I've had some days off. So one of the good things about that, besides getting to spend time with my family, was uh, playing a pretty heavy game like Grand Austria Hotel three days in a row pretty much doesn't happen for me normally. Um, And, uh, you know, with a 10-month-old baby, it still was a little tricky, but it was pretty cool. So I thought it's time to review this. Um, I've had this game for probably two years now, something like that. And I've enjoyed it from the first time I played it. I guess I'm giving away a little of my opinion here, but I've enjoyed it from the first time I played it. But we've played it now, I don't know, probably seven times or so, seven or eight times even, including three just in the last few days, which I think is enough for a heavy game like this. I think that's enough to to kind of give my real opinion on it. I certainly don't think I've mastered it. I've not seen everything it has to offer, which makes me want to review it even more. Uh, Grand Austria Hotel is basically a game where you are running a hotel, <laughs> the Grand Austria Hotel. It's definitely a Euro game, so you know that means uh, the theme doesn't completely tie to what you're doing. But, and this is key, I think compared to most Euro games, I like the thing first of all, of managing a hotel. But I think it kind of works. I mean, I think it it gives enough of that flavor that uh, I like the thing. And so basically, um, you're trying to give guests the food they want out in your cafe. So they'll come into the hotel. But, uh, I mean, it's kind of funny. It doesn't make a lot of sense. At least not the way American hotels work. They might make more sense for European hotels. But uh, basically, these guests are very picky. They want very specific foods. And until they have those... They won't occupy a room in your hotel. They just kind of wait out, chilling out in the uh, the little cafe area, kind of clogging up space to where more guests can't come in. Um, but let's just jump into a quick rules overview, and I'll show you, or tell you rather, how this is played. So, I'm not going to go in depth in rules. I feel like I really overdid it a little bit on the last wheel episode. But, 
basically, you have two boards. One board is the action board, and this is shared among players. Um, the other board is the main board, and this basically holds all the cards and everything that's available to both players. And then you have your individual hotel board. And this is the cool part, because the hotel board has spaces for your own personal hotel rooms and for your three guests who are waiting in the cafe. So, this is an action selection, dice rolling game that has this awesome ability to both let you chuck dice, but also have very little luck. I would say it has a, a fairly small amount of luck, yet you get to chuck dice, and you get to use dice, and there's that excitement of the die rolls that you usually don't get from a, a Euro game like this. Um, so basically, the way around works, someone rolls all the dice, the number depends on the number of players. Uh, I should mention this game plays two to four players. I'll go and tell you up front. It's best, it's actually best with two, which is great or bad, depending on your opinion. For me, it's great, because me and my wife, my wife is my primary gaming partner. And a lot of these games, these deeper strategy games that play four or five players, aren't quite as good with just two. But this one is truly best with just two. So to me, that is just awesome. It's what pushed me over the edge to buy it. But for some of you, that might be a big negative. But I will say, I think it's still very, very, very fun with three. I'll just, I'm going to say it straight up. I would not play this game with four. And, and I'll get into why shortly. But anyways, the first player rolls all the dice. And then these dice get allocated to, to, to different spots on the action board. A couple of spots are dedicated to just collecting different kinds of ingredients. For example, there's strudel and wine and coffee and cake. Those are the four uh, foods that your guests may want. So... All the ones and twos that are rolled on these dice are allocated to those food groups. Um, the threes let you place new rooms on your hotel. The fours let you advance the emperor track, which I'll explain briefly, or just let you collect money. So that's a dual purpose space. The fives that are rolled are the way you get these new cards played. They're called staff cards. Staff cards are basically a way to bend the rules to get more done. And finally, all the sixes that are rolled are the joker space. And this is where you can basically pay a dollar to pick any of the other actions. So, one key thing about this is this is a shared pool of dice. So when it's my turn, and say there's three twos that were rolled, that means I get to do three of that action. So the two, two <laughs> the twos are wine or black coffee. And I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty, but basically I'm going to get three wine or black coffee if there's three twos rolled. But when I take that action, I take away one of the dice, put it on my board. So basically that just means now there's only two there. So if your opponent goes next and they also want to take that action, it's not going to be as good for them. Sometimes you want to take an action just because, man, there was four fours rolled. That's crazy. I really didn't plan to do that, but I think I'm going to do that action now. Um, sometimes you really, really need a piece of cake. You have this stubborn guest that just has to have cake, and there wasn't a single one rolled, which is what lets you get cake. What you can do, and I think this is 
probably overlooked. I know it was by us the first couple games. You can pass. And when you pass, you're not giving up your turn. You're just saying, no, I'm good for now. And then once everyone else has either taken a turn or passed, it'll come back to you. And what you have to do is you have to trash one of the dice, basically. So it makes it a little less good. But then you re-roll all the dice. So you can basically change your fortunes there. But anyways, after everyone has... Or on your turn, after you've selected your dice, then you just do whatever it says. Whether it's collecting ingredients, or collecting money, putting new staff cards out, blah, blah, blah. But basically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to appease these guests that are appearing on the main board. At the start of your turn, you have a chance to move one of these guests to your personal cafe, but you only have space for three. And to get your rooms filled, which is the overall goal of the game, you got to please the guest. So, for example, uh, I'm just looking at the rulebook here. This pirate-looking guy, Captain Golden something, I can't read that, all he wants is a strudel. Just one little strudel. So, let's say you collected a strudel. Um, you give it to him, and then you can send him to his room. Now, the guests have three different colors, plus a wild color, green. There's yellow rooms, red rooms, and blue rooms. So, if you send the blue guest away, they have to go in a blue room, which is another tricky point of the game, because you might have two blue guests in your cafe, and they're full, they're ready to go, you've given them their food, but there's no blue rooms open in your hotel, because you flip the open rooms over to the occupied side whenever you send a card away, and the card just gets discarded. Uh, But they have to match the color. Now, the green guests, which tend to not be quite as good, not worth as many points and things like that, but they can go in any color room. And I'm most certainly not going to go into all the details of these rules, but the guests, you just need to know, not only do they help you by filling your board, which is worth points at the end of the game, They also sometimes are worth quite a few points themselves and sometimes have quite good abilities they let you do as soon as you send them to the room. For example, they might just give you a dollar or they might let you put new rooms out on the board. Some of them let you play staff cards. They do different things and usually it's based on how expensive they are. Like if somebody wants two pieces of cake and a coffee and a glass of wine, then they're probably going to be worth a lot of points or give you a really good ability when you fill them. Where some of them are just very simple to do. You know, this guy wants one piece of cake, and he gives you one point and a dollar. But he does fill a room. And sometimes just filling a room is is really what you're concerned about. Um, So besides filling these cards, you know, by basically collecting ingredients, putting them on the cards, and flipping over your rooms, there's also... Three goals. I think they're called politics cards. I honestly don't even understand the terminology there. It's three goal cards. They're different every game. They're randomized. For example, it might be the first person to get 20 bucks gets to put their token on there and gets 15 points. Or the first person to completely fill two horizontal rows on the board. The first person to get four yellow rooms and three blue rooms occupied. Um, just different goals that give you something else to focus on. And then if that's not enough, there's another thing that is a big focus of the game, and it's called the Emperor Track. 
Um, again, in America, this doesn't make a lot of sense thematically, but I think of this as like the, um, the health inspector who's going around to your hotel to make sure everything's in order. And so he comes around, uh, the whole gang takes seven rounds and he comes around and inspects your hotel in the third, fifth and seventh round. So basically if you're not at a certain level on this emperor track, something bad could happen to you. You might lose money. You might lose points. You might lose rooms. You might lose ingredients. Just <laughs> He does all kinds of nasty stuff to you. But unlike in some games where, for example, if you don't feed your people in Stone Age or Agricola, it's just bad. There's no upside to doing it. It's just bad if you don't. In this game, there is an upside. Yes, if you don't please him, it's bad. But if you did move far enough on this Emperor track, you get a bonus listed on the top part of the tile. And again, just like those bonus cards I mentioned, these tiles are randomized and different every game. For example, this game, if you please the Emperor on round five, you might get one of each ingredient straight into your kitchen. But if you don't please him, you might lose all your ingredients from your kitchen and your guest cards. Uh, on this example here, you get eight points if you please the emperor in the third round, or the sorry, the seventh round, but you lose eight points if you don't, which is pretty significant. Um, and so those are randomized every game, and I don't really see them as a restrictive part of the game. Um, but they definitely guide you. I think it would be hard to totally ignore this emperor track and do well, but it might be possible. Basically, though, all you need to know is the way you get Emperor points is certain guests, when you fill them and turn them, take them to their room, they'll give you Emperor points. Some staff cards you play, which I've not really mentioned those too much, but they'll just straight up give you Emperor points. Maybe when you um, uh, take the action that lets you uh, play a staff card, you also get to add Emperor point, you know, something like that. And I think the last thing I'm going to mention in rules, just to keep this a little tighter and not bore you to tears, are those staff cards. Because those staff cards are very important. Um, basically, you're given a certain number at the beginning of the game, and there's opportunities to get more um, if you take the, the five action, the five die. That's how you play them. Actually, sorry, that's yeah, that's how you play them. The way you get more is from certain guests. They'll let you draw more. But you don't get a lot of these during the game. It's it's a it's a treat to get to draw more. But they're they cost money to play, and money is not easy to come by in this game. But these can be very worthwhile. Uh they add a lot of strategy. For example, early in the game you want to try to get ones out that just help you get more stuff. For example, uh, a game I did well in uh, the other day, I have one that every single turn he gave me a cake. And yes, it was just one cake, but cake is hard to come by in this game. I won't go into all the details, but cake is just its a little harder to come by. Um, so getting a free cake every turn was great. It helped me fill more guest orders. Others might make a certain action space better. Like every time you take cake or strudel, you get to take another cake or a strudel. Or some actually give you end of game bonuses. So those aren't as important to play early on, but you want to get some out before the end of the game. For example, you might get a point for every single room you've occupied. 
or you might get a point for, um, oh, I can't think of a great example now, a point for every staff card you played, you know, something like that. Um, so these really add a dynamic element to the game because you're not going to see all these cards every game. You're lucky if you get, oh, I don't know, including the six you start with, you might get 10 or 11. You might see 10 or 11 during the whole game and you might get five or six played if you're doing really well, you know. So <clears throat> those are a big part of the game. Regardless, the game ends after seven rounds and believe it or not, Although there's a lot going on, seven rounds comes way quicker than I want it to, personally. Uh, I'm like, oh, there's so much more I wanted to get done, which is a good sign of a good game. But still, after seven rounds, there's one final Emperor scoring. Usually it's a big one, a big bonus or a big negative, if you've not pleased the Emperor. And then you add up your points. So as the game has progressed, you've been getting points for certain guest cards as you sent them to their room. Uh, but now at the end, you also get points for the actual rooms on your hotel board. So the higher up the room, the more points they're worth. Up at the top, every single room you've occupi- occupied is worth four points. Um, and then it goes three, two, one on the bottom level. So just simply sending guests to rooms to occupy the rooms is worth points at the end of the game. You get your bonus card points. They're called the politics cards. You know, if you're first, second, or third on any of those, you're going to get points. Um, you've been getting points from the Emperor track during the game. And then finally, you're going to get one point for each leftover dollar and for each ingredient you have. <clears throat> so that shows you how important a single dollar is in this game because it's worth a point at the end if you don't use it. But you're better off using it probably for something good. And, um, finally, your end-of-game staff cards can be big points, if you've played them. That is the game in a rough nutshell. There's quite a bit to it. I find it to be a game that plays smoothly. There's really not a lot you do on a turn, but your turns do get better and better. The more staff cards you play, you get free stuff. It's a game where you're going to have a few turns where you get a lot done and some turns where you just collect some strudel and you're done. <laughs> and that's it. Um, but that should give you enough to get an idea of how it works. So let's move on to my thoughts on the components of the game. So this is a Euro game. You know, this is not a game with big plastic miniatures. You're not going to have chunky plastic bits in this game. You, When you hear Euro game, if you're a Euro gamer, you expect cardboard and probably some wood. And this pretty much lives up to that. But I, I like the components in this game. You know, it's not it's not a traditionally beautiful game. There's a lot going on. But I really like the individual hotel boards where you play your tiles. There's a night side and a day side. The night side is actually the standard side. The day side is different for every board. So you and your opponent could actually have a different board. Where if you play the night side, everybody's is the same. Honestly, I've only played on the night side. I think we will switch to the day side next time. Because um, that really does change up the game quite a bit. Where your colors are, are and your groups are on your hotel board. 
Uh, I like the board in the center of the table that has a lot of information on it, but it keeps everything kind of neat and tidy. It's where the guest cards show up before they're claimed. It's where the Emperor track is. It's where the bonus tiles, the bonus cards are, and the score track. All fairly neatly wrapped up in one board. I think that is very well done. Then the action space board is frankly not exactly necessary. It's mostly just graphics, but I like it. It shows you what the different dice do, what the different actions are, and it does its job. I like it. The cards, the card art is not necessarily great, but I like the style. It's not super detailed, but it's not quite cartoony either. It's somewhere in between. If you've played games um, from Mayfair or Lookout, Lookout is the current publisher of this game. Mine is Mayfair, but unfortunately Mayfair is no longer in business. Um, but Lookout games have a certain look to them. La Havre, Agricola, I believe, is also Lookout at this point. Uh, anyways, they have a, a certain look to them, and this fits into that. But I like the cards. The room tiles are neat. The dice are wooden. Some people, for some reason, hate wooden dice. I don't quite get that. I guess they bounce more. Um, really, the only other um, significant component are the ingredients, uh, the dishes, the strudel cake, wine, and coffee. And they're just wooden cubes. Black as coffee, white as cake, red as wine, and the light brown as strudel. Um, It's fine. It works perfectly fine, and I enjoyed the game using those cubes. But, I have upgraded those pieces, and I have not looked back since. If you, you might as well play the game if you decide to get it. You might as well play it first and see if you like it. But if you do, I mean, I think we played three or four times before I ever thought about upgrading these. And even then, I think I accidentally <laughs> discovered these. But we liked the game enough that I took the plunge and spent perfectly good money to just get something to upgrade the, the components for the dishes from these wooden cubes. And honestly, it's totally been worth it. It actually, for us, it makes the game more fun. Our strudel pieces look like little delicious strudel. The coffee is a miniature black coffee mug, and it looks like it has coffee in it. The white cake is it looks like a wedding cake. It's like a slice of wedding cake. Um, and then the wine is like a vat of wine. Uh, these were from Top Shelf Gamer. I know these have gone out of stock multiple times, and then they come back sometimes. If these are available from TopShelfGamer.com, no affiliation to them, they are so beautiful, and they look even better in person than they do in the pictures. But check them out, Top Shelf Gamer. But if they're not available, I have seen Etsy shops, and I think I've seen other websites even, offering ingredients for Grand Austria Hotel. I don't think anything else needs to be upgraded. I wouldn't worry about it. But just the ingredient cubes. It is so neat having these foods. Um, I don't know. It's just cool. Sorry. Cough's trying to come back. Um, well, that's neither here nor there. But I have to say, it brings me joy playing this game a little bit more with these awesome ingredients. So if you love the game, I recommend you seek out some really cool ingredients. And again, Top Shelf Gamer are the coolest I've seen if they're still available. So anyways, that's my thoughts on the components. Overall, rock solid. Exactly what you expect from Euro game. But in my opinion, elevated by the theme. 
because the thing just works. But let's move on to my final thoughts of Grand Austria Hotel. So, it's probably obvious, but I really love this game. Um, I've honestly liked it just a little more each time we played it. I've recorded six plays of this game, which is something I started doing just since we started the podcast. Um, and I think probably seven or eight is more the right number. Um, I, I knew of six. I could remember vaguely six, but I think it's probably seven or eight total. But regardless, I played it enough. You know, even though it's a game that's, the box says 90 minutes, but we've always played two player. And honestly, if you don't have baby distractions and you're both focused, I think it's about an hour. It's about an hour game with two players. Honestly, two people without kids at all who are focused could play it in even less than an hour. And there's so many decisions in that hour. Like I said, it's a game that when it's over, I wish it lasted another round because like, oh, I just want to do a little more. Uh, my wife feels the same way. But it's just fun, despite the fact there's so much going on. Uh, when you have a good turn and you get to feel a couple of guest orders and send them to your room and get these points and then get these bonuses from the cards and the bonuses from the room board itself, which I've not even gone into and I'm not going to. You can just discover that yourself. It's just a fun game. Um, I should have said the designers. Uh, Simone Luciani and... <laughs> Virginio Geely. We're going to go with that. Um, these guys really know what they're doing. And uh, I know they've made some other uh, very popular games with the Euro game crowd. <sighs> this this game is just great. Um, and it's just extra special to me because it works so well with two players to the point that it's truly best with two. But again, I can't stress enough, I highly recommend this game. If you're looking for a mid to middle heavy, I would say solid middleweight Euro game as far as complexity. For two to three players, this is about as good as it gets. But I do not recommend it for four players. So if you mostly play with four or more players, and here's the reason. Because there's so much to do, you can be thinking thinking about your turn quite a bit when it's not your turn. But turns can take a little bit of time just because people are really thinking it through. So three players is about where it maxes out. Because here's the thing, and something I didn't mention. This game has so many neat things going on. This game uses turn order tiles. And these tiles mean the turn order is not strictly around the table like in most games. For example, in a two-player game, one player will go first and last. In other words, turns one and four. The other player will get turns two and three. So in other words, you're you're going to get two turns per round, but you might get them back to back, or you might get the first turn and the last turn. That's in a two-player game. But let's say, uh, let me just find the tiles right quick. Okay. I'm going to dump out the tiles here. Sorry, this is unprofessional. So in a two-player game, you're either first and fourth or second and third. And then after the round, the tile moves, so you get to do the opposite thing. But in a three-player game, for example, you might be first turn and sixth turn, third and fourth turn, and then second and fifth. 
So you're still getting two turns per round, but you're waiting longer before your next turn. It's still bearable though. However, in a four player game, I just don't think it works. And this is, I realize this is a big knock against the game for some people. But again, my wife is my primary gaming partner, especially for a heavier game like this that takes some time and some commitment. I'm not going to be playing this with many groups of four. And my that's just my current situation in life right now. So it's perfect to me that it works so great with two and three. But if you're playing with four, one of the tiles is first and eighth. That means you're going to go first and then you're not getting another turn for seven more turns. And then you're going to take the eighth and final turn of the round. Another one is second and seventh. One is third and sixth. And then one is fourth and fifth, which is nice. That's how you get two back-to-back turns. And then you can probably walk away from the table. Um, and then they rotate, just like in the two- or three-player game. I think that's just too much. I mean, honestly, if you take a turn and then you're not going again for seven more turns, that could be... Gosh, that could be 20 minutes, honestly. That, to me, is just too much. The only way I would recommend this game with four players is if everyone at the table is just a speed player and just is going to go with her gut and just go for it. But that's very unlikely. My wife will be the first to admit she can have some analysis paralysis. In other words, just kind of paralyzed by the choices. And honestly... With this game, I find them. <coughs> Sorry, not Corona. <laughs> uh, not this time, anyways. Uh, sorry. I find that I get some analysis paralysis with this game, so it can bring it out in the best of people. But there's enough to do and enough to think about that with two players, it does not bother me at all. And that's even with a wife who has self-admitted analysis paralysis. Three players, honestly, I would not want to play it with two or more people who tend to take really, really, really long turns in the games. If you know that there's two people at the table who just take really, really long turns in games, maybe pick something else. But if there's just one person like that, usually it's okay, even with three. But three is the max. I would not play this with more than three. Otherwise, lovely game. Great decisions to make. Just fun. Um, and a theme that just works so much better than most Euro games, in my opinion. I, I love the theme of the hotels. I mean, it's so much more interesting than a game about, I don't know, European politics or trading goods on some continent. I mean, it's just... It's just enough that it's it's better to me. So, overall, I'm going to go and give this game a rating. Um, I believe about two months ago, we came up with a new rating scale, which we've used, I think, a total of one time when we reviewed Last Wheel. But I'm going to stick to it. You know, we dug this hole. I'm going to keep digging. We're going to go for it. Um, and the way this works is, here at the cave, we do get mail, believe it or not. And you know those surveys you get in the mail and they say like, how much do you like this product? And it'll say, I think this is an excellent product. And then you have five choices. You can strongly disagree, slightly disagree, um, somewhat agree, agree, 
I think I'm doing too much. Anyways, it goes from strongly disagree to strongly agree being the best. Um, Or you can just agree, or you can be so-so. There's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, just so-so. So, this game gets a strongly agree from me. I strongly agree this is an excellent game. In other words, on our sort of generalized scale, it's not a number rating because my wife just doesn't do number ratings. And I kind of agreed with her after our first couple episodes. That doesn't quite work for games, because it could depend on my mood. It could depend how many times I've played it, what, you know, what the kind of game is. So I kind of like this rating scale. And Grand Austria gets my highest recommendation, with the caveat that you'll never play with four players, two to three only, and that you know you're getting in for a medium-weight strategy Euro game. That's got a rule book that's honestly not that bad. I should have said this uh, in the rules overview, but basically, maybe the only negative I could come up with the rules is there's a lot of iconography in this game. There's a lot of icons. And even after quite a few plays, if there's a tile we've not seen in a while or a card we've not seen in a while, I have to look it up. Thankfully, it's not a huge deal because it's a simple, quick... Oh, that's what it means. Okay. Most of them, after you played a couple times, make sense. But there's some you're just going to have to look up. Luckily, all the cards, every single staff card is alphabetically listed in the rulebook. Very clear. The good news is, unlike some games where there's not clear iconography, and then you look it up and you're still not sure, in this game, literally every single time we've looked something up, it totally makes sense. Like, okay, and we can move on. You're not stuck trying to look up an answer online. It just makes sense. Once you look it up in the rule book. But this rule book still hangs around when we're playing a game. Because, to be fair, not all the icons are immediately obvious. Um, I don't know if this could have been done better. I mean, they could have used words, obviously. But then, the game would be more language dependent. Um, but it works. And I don't mind. Because, honestly, while another player's taking a turn. If I have a question about a card, I just look it up. Let's say, okay. Reception clerk. Okay, what does that do? Okay, it gives me three victory points per occupied yellow room. All right, you know. Look it up, not a big deal. Um, but this is definitely not a game if you've... If the heaviest thing you've played is Ticket to Ride, or even like Settlers of Catan, the, you might be ready for this, but you know if you are. You know if you're ready for something heavier. But if you're not sure, then maybe wait a while. Um... That being said, I think this game is kind of out of stock at most places at the moment, but I know they are reprinting it. It's a great game. It deserves to be reprinted. I know they're working on a reprint, so hang tight. You should not be paying more than about 50 bucks for this game. I mean, it's a heavier Euro game. It's going to cost you about 50 bucks. Um, 40, 40 to 50, we'll say. But hang tight. Don't pay 80, 90 bucks for this game. It will come back in print. I know they're working on it. Hopefully it's already back in stock at some places. Um, but, yeah. Anyways, that's Grand Austria Hotel. I strongly agree it's an excellent game. Going by our little silly rating scale. And, um, that's really it for Cardboard Cave this episode. Hope you enjoyed yourselves. Hope you got some new games to check out. Um, I recommended Rallyman GT. If you're looking for a solo game. Uh, 10 Days in Africa, Jaipur, if you're looking for a good 
game to play with your significant other when you've only got 15 or 20 minutes to kill. Um, you know, I've been singing the praises of Last Wheel for a while. We really enjoy that one. Anyways, gave you some stuff to chew on. You know, if you want to spit it out or not, that's up to you. We'll see you next time on the cave. Please uh, shut the cave door on the way out. There is a draft in here. It comes from the ocean. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.